Hello and thanks for listening to RT Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick This episode features the second of two programmes celebrating the life and music of the late Joe Burke and you'll be hearing from some of the people who knew him best and who played music with him, beginning with his former student and friend, Dahi Gormley. I think probably in the 1970s and 80s, Joe was probably the biggest star in traditional music. He was huge, like, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> a friend of my grandfather's uh, telling me one time, the first time they met Joe Burke was in 1962 at a carnival in Ballygally here beside us. He was playing with the Leeds from Cayley Band just before he went to America. And the reckon it was like meeting Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> that, that big. That's how popular he was. <laughs> My very first memory of Joe is from when I was three or four and there used to be a Michael Coleman festival up in Gurching and there was a big concert in a marquee and I just remember Joe on the stage. I wouldn't have been aware of who who he was at the time, but I remember inquiring of my grandfather, was that Santee playing the accordion? <laughs> and Joe was on the stage and it was a shocking windy night or windy afternoon actually. And I remember a big gust of wind came and it rattled the whole marquee and Joe said, for God's sake, will someone open a window? <laughs> That's my very first memory of Joe. But um, my, my grandfather was a good accordion player and, and my grandparents had a very musical household. So Joe would have been a household name, you know, I would have grown up being very aware of Joe and his music. And um, when I started playing, then I would have become obsessed with Joe at a fairly early stage. And uh, I went to the Joe Mooney Summer School in Thrumshambo when I suppose I was maybe 13. And uh, I was in Joe's class and it was the greatest musical week I ever had. And that was the start of a great relationship and a great friendship for over 20 years after that. ever experienced before was that Joe didn't just teach you tunes he taught you about the tunes where they came from the places the people behind the music he made music a living breathing thing and that was something that I'd never really encountered before I would have gone to classes and workshops all around the place but you'd be given a few tunes and it'd be great and you'd come home and you'd learn them but this brought music to life for me and I was just amazed by the way he handled the class and the way he broke down everything about the music, even taking the tune out of it. And it was so enlightening. I enjoyed it so much. And I remember coming back after the week and saying to my mother, I'd love to go down to Joe for lessons. 
And uh, this was on the Friday. And she said, sure, ask him tomorrow when you go back. And I asked Joe and he gave me a card and I rang him. I think the following September or October. <laughs> you lived in Sligo then and you used to travel down to him then and go away for lessons. Yeah, I used to go down every second Saturday at 12 o'clock. And it was about two, <laughs> two hours door to door. <laughs> wow, for the, for the hour lesson or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. lot in common in, in a very similar taste in fiddle playing and I, I was always majorly obsessed with fiddle playing and particularly the Sligo immigrant fiddle players who went to America and um, James Morrison would have been a relation of my own and of course Michael Coleman and Paddy Killoran and Joe had spent an awful lot of time in America in in the 1960s and he caught the tail end of that I suppose the golden age of Sligo fiddling in New York and while he wouldn't have met Morrison and Coleman he did know Caloran quite well and of course Lado Byrne but he knew people that knew Morrison and knew Coleman and I used to have the poor man plagued with questions about, about them and trying to learn about them and where they played and how they played and who they played with and he was always so generous with his information and he gave me stacks and stacks of CDs over the years I have boxes of them there that he would have burned um, for me of all of these great musicians and I suppose when we were in the classes quite often we, we spoke as much as we played and that was just as enlightening and just as informative and just as important I think and it certainly had a major impact on the direction that my musical career was to take up to this point I suppose. I was interested in uh, something you said to me the other day because we featured the acetates the Michael Coleman acetates on this program recently which uh, Joe Burke had minded for years which he got from Lado Byrne and uh, that it had just recently digitised and you said to me that you were aware of those but he never let them out of the house. (laughs) Yeah he had played them for me on at the Monica cassette in the house and uh, he played them I think Ah, it was when I was going for lessons, he brought me in to play these and God, he, he told me all about the night. And of course, he told you the story on, on the program a few weeks ago. Uh, he told me about the night he got them and how excited he was and he couldn't wait to get back. But when he got back to his apartment that night, the needle on the gramophone was broke. So he didn't get to hear them for a couple of days after. And he, he was like a hen with a hot egg until he was able to hear them. <laughs> And America, I mean, he, that, that trip he went to America where he got those acetates, he, they were, that was uh, between sort of 1961 and 1965. But he had a huge relationship with America then after that. Did, did he, he lived there for a good bit, didn't he? Well, I suppose he was over and back for years and years from the early 70s. And then he lived there in, in uh, St. Louis from 1998 up until about 1992, I think. But he probably played as much music in America as he ever did here. And uh, America was to have a major influence on his music. Like if we listen to the recordings that he made in 1959 for Gail Lynn, and then just a few years later in 1965, that a tribute to Michael Coleman album that he made with Andy McGann and Felix Dolan, it was entirely different music. It was amazing how much of that fiddle music he absorbed and how much his music developed in a very short length of time. And 
as a musician then as a, do you have a favorite recording of his or are there recordings of his that stand out for you in particular um i i, I really loved galway's own that was his first solo album that he made in uh, 1971 with josephine keegan and it was a masterpiece in accordion playing i suppose nobody had ever heard someone with such virt- virtuosity on the accordion before there had been good players before but this was pioneering great music he'd taken all the intricacies of of the fiddle tradition and and you know transformed them into this 23 key accordion that no one had ever heard music like it and he brought such an array of tunes that people really wouldn't have have um, been playing too much in ireland at that time uh, things like the, the Hut and the Bog and you know he, he brought tunes from his own locality too there were several Paddy Fatty tunes that wouldn't have been in popular circulation at the time and Paddy Kelly's as well but it, it was um, it was amazing music and it's 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 hard to know if it's really been matched yet <laughs> there the attention to detail of the sort of the ornamentation taken from the, the fiddle players and listening to the fiddle players but rhythm was huge with Joe Burke as well wasn't it? Rhythm was a major part and I remember one time he brought me into the house to play uh, it was a reel to reel he was playing a lad O'Byrne and uh, I said Jesus that's a lovely tune he says don't mind the tune that he listened to the rhythm that's the important part and I always thought when, when you watch Joe playing he, he weaved the bellows like he'd weave the fiddle or weave the bow on a fiddle. His rhythm all came from the left hand. And, and that was amazing to watch the way he could move the bellows in and out and up and down with just a slight, a slight wave on them. You'd miss it if you weren't looking very close, but all his rhythm came from the bellows. It was, um, he was a master craftsman, I suppose. Just one thing as you're talking there, the interview that he did for The Long Note with Jackie Small, at one point in that interview, uh, Jackie asked him, you know, was he worried about the sort of different um, styles of playing and the way that people were approaching uh, their music and the, the, the accordion playing? And he wasn't worried about that at all. He he thought there was room for everybody and he, he seemed very open about that. Does that tally with with your experience of him? Oh, very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't a purist by any means. He could appreciate everyone's virtuosity. And that was something he he never, ever said, you know, this is the way you need to play it. This is the way you do it. It was always very open to everything. But one thing that he would have always been and would have kind of instilled in me was that you had to more or less please yourself with your music. As long as you enjoyed it and you were enjoying what you were playing, then after that, it didn't matter so much. You had to enjoy yourself, and if somebody got a bit of enjoyment out of that afterwards, well, that was just a bonus.
Joe Burke and Josephine Keegan on piano with Paddy Fahey's reel from the album Galway's Own. Fiddle player Frankie Gavin was also a friend of Joe Burke since he was a teenager and he spoke to me this week about his friendship and his admiration for Joe. Well, first of all, it's great to be on the programme, first of all. It's an honour to be here to talk about my absolute musical hero. I met him, I think I think it was around the time of Joe Cooley's funeral, I'm pretty much certain, and I was 17 at the time, and uh, he, Joe was doing a gig in a, what was then called Chock Furbo, in, uh, which is now the Connemara Coast Hotel, and he was playing there that night, and I believe Tony Callan was playing the guitar with him, but that was the first time, so I was about 17, and... As I've been saying of late, Aoife, that's the extraordinary thing about Joe is and his music. Once you meet Joe and play a couple of tunes with him, you fall in under a spell. You fall in love with Joe and you fall in love with his music, and then you're under his b- glorious spell for the rest of your life because you feel that you know somebody really, really special. In the, and and that was the case with Joe. I, you know, I, I love Joe and love everything about him. He was a great influence on me, a huge influence on me, to be perfectly honest. And uh, you know, he. Um, he taught me lots, lots of stuff about Irish music and the meaning of it, really, and the the effect that it had on him and who he liked to listen to and all his his influences as well. And an extraordinary man, really. And when you say his influence on you, I mean, I get the impression with him that the music was about a lot more than just the tunes. Would that be right? Well, that would be fair to say, of course, because the, the characters that come with the tunes and the, the characters that come with the, and the personalities that come with the instrument, be it the fiddle, the pipes or the accordion or what, the flute. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, on, on one of your previous programmes uh, with Coleman and uh, Lado Byrne, well, you know, of late, I was just going to mention as well that of late that I felt that, that I've suddenly discovered a sadness in Joe's music that I didn't realise was there before, you know, but maybe now that it's now that he's passed, that may be the case. But uh, he was very much influenced by the great players and... Uh, the, the Coleman's and the Morrison's, particularly Coleman. And there was a sadness in Co- Coleman's music, which I think dro- Joe was drawn to. And uh, to hear him playing tunes, I mean, what he always played with such accuracy and uh, sincerity, and he always had that, that feeling. But of late, as I say, when I hear him playing anything, I hear a new, a new kind of sadness in his music. So, so the sadness of the immigrant, really. And that time when you were 17, would you have played with him much after that? Uh, on and off, we did a bit of a tour around Ireland together, and uh, that was great fun altogether. You know, too much, too much fun, perhaps. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, if any, every and any chance I got. But we would talk on the phone, and we would write letters. He had beautiful handwriter, absolutely amazing handwriting. Uh, so we, he, he'd send a card or, or write a letter, and I would write or send a card to him, and we'd talk very f- frequently on the phone over the years, and it was always great fun and uh, he was always kind of slagging me a bit about the speed I'd be playing at and all this kind of stuff and he'd be telling me to sl- slow down a bit and he'd be also slagging me and he'd be saying things like well now Frankie I wouldn't be as confrontational as you <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I was a bit crankier when I was younger <laughs> but he, he made he made light of it of course and uh, as I say always always a joy to, to speak with him and uh, uh, and even, you know, if you're in his company when he'd be in brilliant form, which normally he always was in brilliant form uh, in, in public. And, you know, you'd hate, you'd hate to even, you know, step away for a minute to, to go to the bathroom or whatever, you know, in case you'd miss some of, of his fantastic uh, comments and conversation. And 
uh, observations that he might have on situations. And he was a great, phenomenal storyteller and, a, and an extraordinary joke teller as well. He was a very, very funny man. Did he teach you much about music, Frankie? He did. Well, the, one of the first pieces of advice he gave to me was, listen to the rhythm. That's the secret. Just two phrases like that. Listen to the rhythm. That's the secret. And in his a green, olive green Ford Capri ZIM 500, he was playing Lad O'Byrne. He was playing Lad O'Byrne, tapes of Lad O'Byrne. And he says, who's that? And I said, well, that, that's Coleman. And he said, no. It's not. And I thought, like, ah, come on, you know. <laughs> but it was actually uh, Lado Baron. So he was, he, you know, he was the rhythm of the, the rhythm of the Sligo music. Even though there's a sadness in all of Coleman's music to my ears, uh, but the rhythm was always there. There was that lilt in his music. And I suppose uh, the, the album that Joe did with Andy McGann, uh, that is really, comes out particularly on that album, that lovely lift and rhythm and uh, lilting um uh, lilting sound of the music, jigs, jigs, reels and hornpipes. Extraordinary, really. He was, um, yeah, he had, the, he, had the, he, had the, he had the rhythm, that's for sure. And, of course, he had the phenomenal capacity to play tunes in, to perfection as well, as the way he dressed. He was always a great uh, dresser and uh, he had always nice tweed jackets and stuff like that on. And, you know, he, he, you know, he was just uh, an influence in several ways to me. And, uh, and, and of course, his, his wit... His wit really appealed to me because, I mean, he'd tell one story and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of mad for storytelling and, and yarns and jokes and all the rest of it myself. So we had a lot in common in that way, but I wouldn't, the kind of stories and yarns that I would have wouldn't have the depth and the hilarity that his would mm. by any stretch of the imagination. He had extraordinary stories and uh, at the launch of uh, Tommy, McCarthy, Tommy, Tommy McCarthy and Louise Costello's album in Salt Hill there on O'Connor's years ago, whatever, three or four years ago, five years ago. He was in particularly great form that day. And we were there, Brian Burke and Jay and myself and, 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 and Judy Murphy and I don't know who else was there, Anne Conway, of course, Anne and Joe. And he had us all in absolute flithers laughing. I mean, we were laughing for about two hours, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> um, give, give me an idea, Frankie, of his status in the, in, in, in the sort of 70s, 80s and you know, into the 90s because he was a very big name in Irish traditional music, wasn't he? He was the biggest name, really. I mean, okay, you had the Coleman's and the Morrison's and the Patsy Toohey's and the Willie Clancy's and the Seamus Dennis, and you can name all those great, great, great players, and I'm not taking anything from them at all. But Joe was loved by absolutely everybody. Every musician loved Joe, even if they didn't play his style of music, if there were the, even if there were the Paddy O'Brien style of playing or the Finbar Dwar style of playing or the Joe Cooley style of playing. It, it didn't matter. They still loved Joe Burke and they, they, he, he was held in such reverence, I suppose, and he was just, yes, revered. And Joe's music would have been a sort of... had a hypnotic effect on everybody. And that had effect on people, even those who didn't play and all of those who did play. So, I mean... I suppose he's the, the greatest musician that I've ever known for as long as I've known him, you know, out of all the great players that you hear about over the years. So I had, I had all this time and many years, 47 years to be roughly, uh, you know, to in or around 47 years, uh, to know and love the man and love his music. Incredibly generous man and very generous with his time. He would never, he would never rush a conversation and, he'd, you know, I mean, he'd... he'd he was very respectful like that. He had great respect for everybody, and particularly he had great respect for young people. He loved teaching the kids and teaching all his young pupils, of which he has many, 
and they're all just powerful players, every blessed one of them. Frankie, is there a tune or a set of tunes that you particularly like listening to from Joe Burke? Well, of course, <laughs> everyone says, OK, the Bucks of War and More, but I, I, of course I love him playing the Bucks of War and More. And, but he did an album, I think it's called The Morning Mist, the title of the album, but on that, he and of course, the, uh, the hundreds of times I heard him playing The Dawn, and so he's playing the dawn on the B flat, B flat box, and he plays, I think, the morning mist after it. These two reels are my very favourites, and as far as I know, I think Joe wrote the second. <laughs> The Morning Mist, played by Joe Burke and Charlie Lennon from the album of the same title, The Morning Mist, and we'll be hearing more about that tune later on. Joe Burke made many albums during his long career, but the one he made with harpist Maureen Kasi is unusual because here he's playing the flute on it and not the more familiar accordion. He just got the notion that he'd, want, he'd like to do a, a flute album and invited me to play on it. And... Um, I can't remember when I first met him, probably at some flower or other when I was, you know, in the 70s and I was a teenager, but I think I got to know him through Copas tours in late 70s, early 80s, probably. Um, there was, a, you know, a couple of tours um, in America, Colts tours in America, and of course in Colts tours in America, Colts would always want Joe Burke to be the top of the bill because he was the magnet who drew the crowds, because mm. uh, he was a massive star at the time, he was like the biggest star in Irish music, really. The album then, the flute and the harp album, I mean, yeah. like Joe had a, had a history of, um, you know, playing with many great piano players. But was the, the, the duet idea between the flute and the harp, was that kind of innovative at the time? Well, it certainly was. For any traditional musician to have a harp um, accompanying them, I mean, I, I, it, Joe's encouragement to me was just very significant at the time because I remember I did a, a tour around Ireland with him. And, uh, he, you know, he normally had, you know, someone else playing with him, like a guitar player usually that time, because the piano wasn't portable, so he'd usually have a guitar player. But he, you know, he inspired a kind of fanatical devotion <laughs> in, in other musicians and followers of Irish music at the time. That was unique in my experience, and people followed him around. <laughs> and um, he was such a, an interesting player, and he would always play a, a tune on the flute, actually, at those gigs. Mm. Um, so then uh, we did some gigs in America and a month in Mc the famous McGurk's in St. Louis. And um, he decided, as I said, he wanted to make a, a flute album. But, um, but having the harp at all, flute or anything else, was, was unheard of at the time. And um, it was made a big difference to, to me in, in my life, really, in a way, because the traditional music world at the time, for a revered figure to give, like Judges Joe, to give his imprimatur, so to speak, to a young musician like myself, mm. uh, with the result that a lot of traditional music fanatics would normally run a mile from the harp because of its <laughs> associations with people <laughs> singing with the harp, you know, sweet little colleagues and stuff like that, and they mm. detested that kind of thing. But they, because Joe took me under his wing, they would prepare to give me a hearing. Mm. So that was, uh, you know, it was, it's I was, you know, I, I was very honoured, really. Mm. And it was an amazing experience. Um, 
But, uh, you know, that, that, that album was rec recorded in one take as well, you know. The, the, my bits of it anyway were recorded in one take. That was Joe's thing. Um, I know on last week's programme, for example, you had, um, you had him t talking about the album he made with uh, Sean McGuire and doing it in an afternoon. That was part of the course, you know. <laughs> Just, uh, that's the way they did things. And if you couldn't keep up, well, you shouldn't be there in the first place. <laughs> it was fun, you know. And um, Maura, what did you like about his playing or what worked between you and him in, in the playing? Um, he was... A, he was uh, he was a hugely thoughtful musician. He just thought about about everything he played and his whole approach to the the music. He was he had um, I've never I don't think I've ever met anybody who had such an encyclopedic knowledge of the music, and of of the people as well. He was like a walking social history hmm. of Irish music and Irish musicians and their their lives and stories about them and all that kind of thing and and a walking social history of Irish America as well. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, he had an incredible collection of old uh, tapes of people he'd made, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, he'd, he'd always be listening to things and just hearing little nuances. And nuance was very important to him. And it was very important to me as well, I suppose. So in that case, you know, musically, we were on the one wavelength. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, it, I, I, was, I had a huge, huge, huge respect for the way he played a tune, the, the, the subtlety in it. I mean, it was just extraordinarily lyrical and beautiful, as well as being full of life. And uh, it just it was incredibly engaging. Mm. People found it very engaging without quite knowing why they found it engaging. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and <laughs> but um, he had, there was a magic. What I'm trying to say is there was a magic about his playing, but it was very thoughtful as well. It didn't just happen all by itself. Let's let's hear a track from yourself and uh, Joe Burke. Now, on this album that you made together, you are playing on most of the tracks, but are, there are some people, some other harp players on some of the other tracks. You might pick one of you and Joe for us tonight. Yeah, I, I really like the one, the, the one that I played with him called The Coolin'. And uh, I'm not, I was never a fan of The Coolin', really. <laughs> so one of these things at the time, like everybody asked for The Coolin'. Uh, so I kind of thought I'm not playing Coolin'. But um, when Joe played it, it was really lovely. And I really liked that recording that we did at the Coolant together on that album. played by Joe Burke with Moira Nikhasi from their album The Tailor's Choice. Fiddle player, composer and piano player Charlie Lennon was a musical partner of Joe Burke's for many years. They did many gigs together and they recorded some beautiful albums as well, including The Morning Mist, which you just heard, and Traditional Music of Ireland. And I asked Charlie Lennon this week if he could remember when he first met Joe. I first met Joe Burke in Seamus Connolly's house in Killaloo. And I think that was back around 62, maybe um, around that time. He was home from America and uh, Seamus was close to him. I think it was kind of a, like a going away party again in Seamus's house. And uh, Ben and myself were invited. I happened to be down. Ben was living in Limerick at the time. So 
we went and uh, we we weren't sure what was happening, but when we got there, they had, they had a lovely setup uh, in the, the front room where the piano was, and Shabes' brother plays piano, and Joe was there, and Aggie White was there. So we actually had a, a lovely night, and uh, Joe played, got me to play uh, uh, with him on piano, so that was the first introduction we had. But when he came back, anyhow, from the States, he was coming to Spindle here and playing. This is the 60s now, then maybe the 66, 7, 8, around that time. And I I started playing with him on the fiddle, and then he'd do gigs back in Carrow, and, and he'd pick me up sometimes. I wasn't part of the gig, but I loved, I loved playing with him on the fiddle. He came to me then in around 1970 or 71 to accompany him on a competition that Colts were running, was running in um, all around Ireland to <laughs> to find the best the best uh, musician <laughs> in Ireland, which is a bit of a, a foolish trail. <laughs> put on you. You'd need lots of trophies for that competition. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we wound up anyhow been in the final which was televised in Dublin and there's actually a clip of it on, on YouTube uh, and I'm on piano so we we got together and we picked the, the tunes he was going to play and I put put got them into my head and, and put a, an arrangement on, on them and so that was our our first real um, public engagement if you like <laughs> and he, he won the competition and then That'd be the following year he came to me to see whether I back him on a, a, an album he wanted to do, um, and I did. So we actually got playing quite a lot from then on, you know, one thing or another, and uh, we kind of clicked. Yeah, we 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 understood the music that he, Joe was playing, uh, and I I understood what would should should go with it to give it exposure and to retain the. Um, style that he had developed in the States because he had changed his, his style when he got went to, went to New York and started playing with Andy McGann. And so he was now playing a lot of Coleman music, but playing it on, a, on, a, on an accordion. And truly, he kind of reinvented Coleman's music insofar as it never had been recorded properly uh, by other musicians. Um, Recordings, and um, so we had common common interests, a lot of common interests, and sort of went on from there. And was that first record the the traditional music of Ireland? Was yeah, that, that's yeah. The later album you made together, The Morning Mist, that's, I think, a title of a tune Joe himself wrote. Is that that's right? right. I was, when I was in Liverpool in the 60s, I was with the band there, the Liverpool Gaily Band, and we picked up this tune and we had it as part of the normal session that we'd play. We played for dancers a lot in the Irish Centre 
and we had then selections chosen for the different dances. So we had we had picked this one up probably from Attic Plath Kills because we came to most of them over in Ireland. And uh, we had the name of it, but that was it. So much later then, in the 60s, we were invited over uh, or for the Arachthus and we did the Cayley the in the mansion house. And um, during the Cayley, we were playing and we noticed a, a new sound coming. So so happened that Joe was behind the curtains and he had a chair <laughs> and he just slipped out and sat at the back. And um, of course, then when we stopped that session, that um, the, the dance, we saw him. Well, we we knew there was something happening back there. And um, <laughs> he said to us, what do you call that tune? Um, which we had just included in the set. And he said, well, I wrote that tune. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and, and you didn't know that? No. And of course, he didn't know whether we were playing this tune or where we got it or not. He was known everywhere, really. Um, he toured uh, in the 70s, he toured Ireland, indeed, Scotland and England and so on. But um, he was on the road night and day, really. And um, he had a, in a particular car, it was a Ford. Capri, uh, was, uh, like a racing, looked like a racing car, and it was green in colour. <laughs> everybody knew his car, <laughs> but he he knew everybody really. As he travelled, he would stop somewhere, and he'd meet somebody, and he would remember where he met them before, and they'd have a chat about the, the night or whatever, and he'd go on a bit further, and maybe a guard would stop him and. <laughs> there'd be an immediate conversation and this would the way he'd be sitting there for 10 minutes talking to the guard <laughs> about music so he was um, you know one of Ireland's greatest treasures as we used to say in those days uh, because he, he he was contributing all the time and, and satisfying all his large group of followers uh, because he always put on a great show he always talked to the audience. He always amused the audience and cracked jokes with them, his own jokes, mm. and uh, made fun. And uh, he kept the bright side out all the time. You never heard him complaining about anything. So he was an amazing man in that way, and a great socialiser. You know. <laughs> lovely tune there, Currants for Cakes and Raisins for Everything, a tune written by Joe Burke's wife, Anne Conroy Burke. One of Joe Burke's last television appearances was with Frankie Gavin in the series Shea Maleach on TG Cahar. Well, I, I, you know, I, I was delighted to get the opportunity to do the Shea Maleach programme in the first place. And uh, so I thought to myself, well, 
I want to have Joe Burke on this, no matter what. I mean, my brother, my brother Sean and my sister Noreen were on it, and George Grasso, and it, it was a really enjoyable program to do. It made me think a lot about music and think a lot about, you know, all the years I've been playing it and everything like that. But I definitely had to have Joe involved. So, and of course, Carl Hessian had been working with Joe, in you know, back in the days of the competitions, in the duets and the trios and all this kind of stuff. And Joe. And and like he competed in several programs or several competitions with uh, with Joe, mm. and so I brought Carl down as well because he was really part part and parcel. We had done a good few things uh, together, any of Joe, Carl, and myself. So it was it was perfect. It was a, it was a wonderful occasion. It was a, a joyous occasion, and he was in top spirits from the minute he opened the front door. Sure. Oh. Joe How are you, Frankie? I'm great. How are you? You're very welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Buddy. Come on in. Come on. Lovely hurling. How are you getting on? Not so bad. Let's put it all together. Okay. The place is lovely. <laughs> Joe, this is your this is your part of the country, isn't it? You, you were born yeah. and reared near here. I was born here in this very spot. Oh, in the lovely Kilnadima. In Kilnadima. Kurhur, they call it the place. Right. Yes. About 1953, the electricity um, came around. People were very, very, very puzzled by this little switch on the wall mm -hmm. that when you turned it a certain way or did something with it, that little glass thing would light up on the ceiling. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, it nearly was frightening. Were they afraid? Of, yeah, I was going to say, were they afraid? Yeah, of it? so there was one man <clears throat> around here at the time and he was a man that was regarded as having a lot of knowledge. Okay. He knew a lot of things. Right. <laughs> so the knowledgeable man said he scratched his head a little bit, and to tell you the truth, he says, now, I know quite a lot of things, but that's one thing that I don't know a lot about, but I think I'll explain it to you this way, that if you had a big, long dog <laughs> that would stretch from here, Kilnadima, to Derry Bryan. Yeah. And if you if someone stood on his tail in Kilnadima, yeah. he'd bark in Derry Bryan. That'll do then. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> of Joe Burke, Frankie Gavin and Carl Hessian there from the programme Shea Malaych, which profiled Frankie Gavin and that programme is still available to watch now on the TG Car Player and a very big thank you to Shea Malaych and Anir TV for providing us with that extract. Well, we're close to the end of the programme, but a final word from some of our guests tonight, beginning with Joe's former student, Dahi Gormley, and then Charlie Lennon. <laughs> I think what Joe really taught me, he taught me that you don't play music for life. Music becomes your life. 
your own personality comes out in the tunes you play, the environment you grow up in, the music you surround yourself with. Um, uh, uh, someone says to me lately that unless you know where you came from, you'll never know where you're going. And I always thought Joe showed me what the tradition was, how it developed, and really how respectful you have to be of that tradition. It's always great to do your own thing, but you can't forget what came before you. And that was something that Joe really instilled in me, and I'd be forever grateful for that. And I hope in some small way through my playing and my teaching, I'll be able to carry on a bit of that generosity and friendship that Joe showed me over the years. It really meant a lot. I think he had an influence on the music or on accordion playing in oh, particular. Oh, he had a huge influence. It was you either played like Joe Burke or you didn't, or you, you, had, you didn't bother playing. <laughs> the youth, the youth, all the youth that came up, they all followed him, learned his style, and of course, then Anne and himself opened up the school at his house. So he, he he did a huge amount for Irish music. I think more than anybody really in terms of actually getting to the coalface. But no, he was a character out and out, a born entertainer. He just had to, to appear on stage and sit down and uh, the audience was so alert and he'd say one or two words and then he'd crack a joke and then during the time they were laughing he had gone and started a <laughs> <the> set. <laughs> they had to catch up then. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, he enriched our lives tremendously. And, of course, he enriched the lives of many people who knew him only through his music as well. And no doubt at all, but that that will continue, that the music of Joe Burke will continue to do that for many more people into the future. So thank you to everyone who took part in tonight's programme celebrating the life and the music, of course, of the late Joe Burke. We're going to leave you with a tune from Joe and his wife Anne Conroy Burke on accordion and Charlie Lennon on piano. And this is from an episode of Gantry on TG Cahar a few years ago. And uh, thanks again to Forefront Productions for their help sourcing this one. Gurumila Mila Magi Asocht Vurgo Luader Anocht. Gudian Tam Hyena and Tachtan Jahugan to our Arawai Pain Agus Ihawa. And thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcasts. So if you'd like to hear the full versions of the tracks, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. This programme was first broadcast on the 28th of March, 2021. Good day and hey there, Ella. Good day and hey there, Ella.